Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and how the Team 4-star version of Super would be fantastic. Tonight on episode 11, we'll be finishing our discussion of the Future Trunk Saga with part 3 of our three-part discussion of Dragon Ball Super. Tonight we'll be covering episodes 67 through 76, so get ready for us to break things down. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi. And if you haven't listened to part one or part two, then I guess you just like walking through life confused. We're hoping to keep this episode a bit short since most of this episode covers filler episodes. But just to give you a quick reminder of where we left off, why don't you give us a brief recap of where we're at, Todd? Absolutely. So, last time on Instant Transmission. Dayton and I dove into the middle of the Future Trunks arc where Zamasu and Goku Black team up to pummel Goku, Vegeta, and Trunks. With the aid of Yajirobe and Mai, our Saiyan warriors escape using the time machine to go back to the past. The Z fighters tell Whis and Beerus about the events of the future, and our god-angel combo decides to deal with Zamasu of the past timeline wiping him from existence. Going back to the future, our Saiyan protagonists learn that Black is also Zamasu from the past, who used the Super Dragon Balls to switch bodies with Goku. Black used the Time Ring to jump to the future timeline, using his new body to destroy the gods and begin wiping mortals from existence. Black recruited future timeline Zamasu, to his cause to destroy all mortals. Now, let me know if this is confusing enough for everyone yet, because I know I'm confused. (laughs) Break out that flowchart already. Oh, gosh. Anyway, through multiple battles, the Z fighters used the evil containment wave to capture Zamasu, but they forgot the talisman. So Zamasu ends up fusing with Zamasu, or a.k.a. Black, to become the perfect deific being. To fight this new threat, we get Vegito on the scene through Patara fusion, but it takes Trunks using a spirit bomb sword technique, not to be confused with Vegito's spirit sword, to cut fused Zamasu in two. And that's where our story resumes tonight. Yeah, and that's going to take us, I think, right into episode 67, which is, fill your heart with new hope. Farewell, Trunks. And uh, this picks right up where we left off, where Zamasu is cut in half by the spirit sword or sword of spirits or whichever it is. And (laughs) the whole time, he's just cackling over the thought of being killed by a mortal. But as soon as the sword goes all the way through, there's a brief moment where everything's kind of still. And then he erupts into a pillar of light, screaming as he disappears. Yes, and I don't think that we've made it any secret that both Dana and I feel like this is exactly where this saga should have ended. (laughs) This is such a perfect poetic ending. Trunks getting the final blow on the person who absolutely ruined his world, his life, and quite frankly, his his universe. Absolutely, and I mean, this would be the, the perfect bow on top of everything that Trunks has gone through all of his struggles. Uh, we even get a quick little scene with uh, Mai and Balma coming up and, you know, greeting Trunks and, you know, telling him like, hey, great job, you did it. And then 
Uh, Zamasu comes back. <laughs> yeah, the, the victory celebration is cut short when dark clouds begin just covering the sky. And in these dark clouds, we get Zamasu's laughing face. And this was something I was not expecting the first time I saw it. No, me neither. And I, I think that's probably partly what the writers were going for here. But man, this this was not the, the surprise ending that I, I would have wished for for this arc at all. No, the, the Z fighters quickly kind of jump into action. They fire off key blasts into the sky, but they just sort of bounce off and have no real effect. And uh, yeah, that's when we start seeing these clouds in the sky start raining key blasts across the landscape, just wiping more or less everything. And there wasn't much left, but wiping everything that was left pretty much out of existence and turning the entire planet into a barren wasteland. Right. I think pretty much everyone on the planet, except for our small group of Z fighters, is killed at this point. And there's actually a really great scene here with my where she she's been fighting so hard her and trunks both but they've just been fighting so hard to save this planet save the people on this planet and my just loses it she's so upset that at the loss of the last few humans that they've been protecting and she just starts firing her gun into the air at zamasu i mean to no effect is it's just a, a pointless uh, act of resistance but it's it's kind of a beautiful moment i actually really like that part yeah i do like it it was everything that they'd been fighting for for a good portion of their lives was just wiped away in that one moment and all you have is zamasu's just cackling face just in the clouds looking down on them and while i i'm not a big fan of of zamasu being an immortal cloud i i do like that there is some real i guess emotional draw to the the effects that he's having Right. I agree. Yeah, I would say the that's kind of the one positive takeaway for this turn of events is that this is a really dark ending for Dragon Ball. Uh, and I I do like that part. However, <laughs> we get into our deus ex machina here. Oh, boy. All right. So who remembers uh, Goku's last encounter with Zeno? Because it's <laughs> quite relevant. Uh, Goku remembers that he's got a little button in his pocket that he can go ahead and whip out and press at any point. And he does so, and poof! Grand Zeno suddenly shows up in front of our, our Z fighters on this barren landscape. And, right. uh, yeah. Grand Zeno shows up. Goku says, yeah, isn't this terrible? And Grand Zeno goes, yep, this is terrible. Uh, time to destroy everything. And Zeno begins just kind of powering up to just eradicate everything, I guess. Right. The interesting thing here, too, is that Goku received this button from the Zeno in his timeline. However, the button summoned the Zeno in the future timeline. I mean, they, they are in the future timeline. So there's, I mean, at least some measure of logic to this i suppose i guess um, i don't i mean are you ready to do a how the grand zeno button works breakdown oh, <laughs> yeah, it, we'll, we'll leave that to somebody else on the internet uh, uh yeah <laughs> but uh before grand zeno can kind of wipe the slate clean uh, our z fighters all pile in and on the time machine i think goku and vegeta just grasping onto the legs of it not even getting inside of it which was kind of bizarre to me i 
I hate that scene. I absolutely hate it. It's <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense with how they previously kind of referenced how the time machine works previously. And I I get that they're trying to save, you know, everybody who's involved in this. Um, but it just ruins the continuity for me with the time machine. But, it's really bizarre, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But our Z fighters make it back to the past and I mean, they are safe, uh, but as far as they know, the future timeline has been, or at least this world, has been wiped out by Zeno. Well, don't worry. We uh, very quickly go back there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think they then quickly boot up the time machine to jump back just to kind of check it out. And uh, they, in that moment, I think actually just see kind of this void in space and they see uh Zeno actually as well and uh they they bring Zeno back to the past with them uh Goku kind of talks him into it so this is kind of a weird development here it really is considering that this Zeno has never seen or met Goku so it's like this is just a brand new guy to Zeno right yeah um and we know that Zeno's got kind of a childish personality and is very I don't know, just is looking for fun, adventure, kind of. So maybe that explains it. But uh, we get a little bit of a scare. Beerus uh, kind of showing his fear as Zeno pops out of the time machine. Um, We are kind of, at this point, believe Trunks' timeline to be completely lost, completely wiped out. And so they're kind of trying to figure out what the plan is with our future trunks and future am I and kind of what to do with them. But until then, first we got to find something to do with this Zeno we just brought to our universe, right? Like we've got, we've got a new Omni King in town. Yeah. Yeah. So this is going to fill the, the void or the promise that Goku made to the Zeno of the past timeline. Uh, where Goku said that he would bring Zeno a friend who was even more fun than he is. (laughs) Yeah, this it almost felt like this whole thing was a little unnecessary for Goku to make that promise than for Goku to summon Zeno to clean up a fight that should have probably already have ended. And then now we've got two Omni Kings in this universe and isn't time travel completely forbidden and all this other stuff. I just... It really makes me scratch my head, but it's sure. Okay, there's another Zeno, and the the I guess that story arc with the promise of a friend is complete. And it's also kind of weird. I just try not to think about this too much, but I have to bring it up briefly. Thinking about Trunks's future timeline and what Zeno did to it, like, did he wipe out the Earth? Did he wipe out that timeline? Did he wipe out that universe and left, like, the other universes still intact and then what happens to that uh, i guess that timeline without a zeno there like what does that mean too it gets kind of crazy and confusing but we don't have to worry about that because it's not going to come up again uh you say that i kind of hope now that you bring up that that universe doesn't have a grand zeno i hope it just goes off the rails and we can go back there when it's just just completely (laughs) nuts that would be fantastic if that's if we need some filler episodes, do that because I'm into it. Yeah, I'd be curious to see what that 
what that looks like uh, between the gods and the angels and I don't know, the devils or whatever, just kind of running amok. So, I mean, you can imagine that maybe if universe seven, because uh, all the gods and Kai's and stuff were kind of wiped out and, in Universe 7, there could be a big gold rush from all the other gods to to have another plane under their control or another universe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they want that uh, prime real estate. That'd be kind of interesting. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making stuff up at this point. But yes, we do have a plot hole now that will probably never be addressed. No, almost certainly not. But So we've basically got two Zenos in this universe. At this point... Our Z fighters kind of collectively try to decide what to do with Trunks and Mai, and Weiss is kind of the driving force behind this plan. And they essentially decide that they're going to send them to an earlier point in their timeline before Zamasu kind of destroyed their timeline, destroyed their world. Uh, but it's going to mean that there will be two Trunkses and two Mai's in that timeline. This was the strangest solution that I think they could have come up with. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, I mean, this episode is one of my least favorite in Dragon Ball Super, if only because it just ruins what would otherwise be such a perfect ending to this story arc. Um, and so, yeah, why why do this? Now, Dayton, I know you, If I don't know if you wanted to talk about it more, but you actually had some really good thoughts about how they could have done this differently. Oh, geez, yeah. Um, yeah, I felt very strongly that I think they should have ended it with Trunks using his spirit sword to slice, you know, Zamasu in half and uh, win the day sort of thing. He gets his victory and he gets the, uh, you know, he saves more or less his planet with the help of his friends. But at this point, Earth is so, I guess, like wiped out that there's not really much left for him. And I would have liked for him to just kind of come over to our timeline and we can just have future trunks added to the Z fighters. That would have been amazing. I think everybody likes future trunks. And then there's a lot of potential with him actually showing up to the tournament of power and being kind of a really big badass during that and getting some pretty big victories that I think would have been really important, and meaningful. Yeah. And Dayton and I have talked about this off the podcast and maybe we'll discuss it a little bit more once we dive into the tournament of power, but Dayton had some really, really cool thoughts about how future trunks could have still been relevant. Uh, and it would have been really important to his character story arc as well. It, um, it would have been nice for Trunks to, because Goku and Vegeta and the people of our universe, they really did give so much the Trunks to to help him in his universe and help him get ahead. It'd be really cool to see him like actually have a, a good chance to kind of give back to to our current timeline. I would have loved it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that's it's one of my biggest problems with this episode and the way that they wrap up this arc is the fact that this this whole ending makes everything Trunks and Mai have done to save their timeline up to this point just feel meaningless. And they're they're basically getting shunted back into their timeline at a, kind of like a random point before Zamasu destroys it. Uh, and then, I mean, what are they going to do? Live as as hermits basically trying to avoid their other selves in that timeline uh, that I assume or they, you know, reveal themselves to their other selves and 
kind of live together it, it, it's awkward and we also it's also very strange that Weiss would be willing to do that considering how taboo time travel is and right. he's more or less just allowing it if not helping permit it to happen and actually causing i guess more i don't know it just it makes it really confusing and it raises way more questions than it answers the the way that they decided to to deal with future trunks yeah yeah absolutely um and i i don't know i i almost felt like i we should have gotten more of an emotional reaction out of trunks and my as they're discussing like what to do with them or what happened to their world and timeline uh it, it just all feels a little bit off yeah i and like you said i think we both agree that the last episode future trunks killing zamasu should have been more or less where things ended and i think just kind of reversing i guess the whole timeline and then sticking trunks into a timeline with another trunks i don't know how that's gonna go and if we ever see future trunks again what's it gonna mean i i don't know i have a lot of questions and i think like you said we're probably not gonna get answers so we just gotta kind of accept the way that things are and i guess push forward right now with all of that said we've both kind of complained about this episode quite a bit there were a few things at the tail end of this episode that I, in particular, really enjoyed. And it, it's it's more or less the the parting of future Trunks and future Mai from our Z fighters. And there's just a few really great exchanges here. Uh, we get Trunks and Balma. Uh, Balma just talking about how she enjoys having a, a future son because it means potentially earlier grandkids and stuff mm -hmm. so there's just some fun little exchanges there we get trunks and vegeta where vegeta comes and tries to punch trunks and punch blocks it and they both just have a grin big grin on their faces speaking like saiyans do exactly that saiyan communication and then as trunks and mai are in the time machine and getting ready to poof back to their timeline uh we get gohan showing up gohan and piccolo i believe and uh gohan just kind of giving some encouraging words to trunks as trunks is leaving and, and trunks tears up as he kind of sees we even get this visual of the overlay of his timelines gohan his future gohan this you know powerful warrior yeah over it, it kind of draws all the all the emotions that he kind of had deep down inside of him seeing you know, his his old master's face and he kind of thinks about how he he failed to protect his universe and it kind of overtakes him for a moment. Right. Yeah. And so some of those scenes are are pretty touching, pretty sweet. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more with Gohan and Trunks. Honestly, I would have liked to have seen that uh, get fleshed out a little bit. Um, but all in all, I liked the way that they did the the parting of the characters here. They've got a few touching moments for us. Yeah, it's it's not all bad. There are a few good scenes and a few good interactions in this episode. It's, I mean, it it ties things up. Whether you like it or not, it does make an effort to kind of tie things up and put a bow on it. And I can at least respect it for for trying to do something. It's an it's an episode that's trying to push the plot along and show some character development yeah absolutely so i guess that pretty much takes us to the end of the episode i 
I mean, <laughs> we've kind of discussed it quite a bit, but what do you think about that episode as a whole, Dayton? As a whole, it's I disagree with a lot of the the story elements that they pushed with it. It's I don't I don't like what they did, but they at least tried to do something and I mean it's it's relevant story. You you need to see this episode to kind of know how everything wraps up. Because as much as I don't think we'll get any more out of this, there could be an episode or a saga or an arc in the future where this comes into play again. So it's a necessary to watch episode, but it's not my favorite. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the way that they tied everything together. Yeah, and I think I've said it already. This honestly to me is one of my least favorite episodes in Dragon Ball Super. And it's mostly just because it takes a story arc that I thought was actually pretty solid, even though it, you know, it has its problems, but was a pretty dang good story arc with one of my favorite characters. And it just ruins the ending. It just makes the ending meaningless for them. And uh, it, it takes the win away from Trunks. Uh, it, it makes his story arc feel less meaningful and so that that was my least favorite part about it. I wish they would have just left it at Trunks cutting Zamasu in half and, you know, he saved his future. His future would have been bleak, but that's kind of always been the the deal with future Trunks in his timeline. So, yeah, I would have been fine with that, too, if it's him kind of, you know, him and the last few remaining humans rebuilding from the ashes. That would have been kind of fine. And then you could have had him check in at some point or have the Z fighters check in on him and see how things are, you know, at some point in the future. And it could have been, it could have been cool. It could have been something that was memorable, but instead we just, we hit the, the reset button. And if anything, we, it's kind of, everything's worse now because there's two trunks and two mice and it's just, it's very strange. Yeah. Leaves them in a weird spot. It feels like uh, who knows if we'll see those characters again, but yeah, I don't know if there would be even a good story arc for us to see those characters again. It just feels weird. I um, mean, if if you don't care about knowing this stuff, I say just uh, end episode 66 and just assume that that's how it ends because it's a much better story. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> oh, but, buddy. Yeah, I think uh, I think that more or less sums up my my thoughts on the way that they end this this story arc and by the way i still think this is a fantastic story arc i just yeah it's a cool unique story it's a little bit grim and dark and that kind of stuff reminds me of say uh you know all the adventures they went on on namek where people were dying and it was dire and i kind of i like it when there's a little bit of stress and knowing that you know when someone goes down they might not come back there's something that that I just enjoy about watching that when consequences actually matter. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why Future Trunks and his story have been some of my favorites in Dragon Ball is just because there are, are no Dragon Balls. There's consequences. There's no, well, shouldn't be any reset buttons normally. But, uh, but yeah, I think we've mostly, you know, talked our points about that we'll probably start moving forward into uh, that that more or less wraps up the story arc for trunks uh the the rest of this which is still kind of included in the future trunks arc according to like the wiki information and all that uh is mostly either side stories or filler episodes so, so i think dayton and i are going to kind of fly through these pretty quickly here <laughs> yeah i'm 
I mean, I, I don't want an entire episode where I'm just sitting here talking about filler episodes and complaining. So I just kind of want to touch the couple points of each episode and move on to the next one because there's not really there's not really much that's relevant in, until probably the last couple episodes in the story arc. And even then, it's not it's not super relevant, but it's it's not bad. Right. So why don't we go ahead and get started with them? We'll start with episode 68. Episode 68, Come Forth, Shenron, Whose Wish Shall Be Granted. And uh, this episode is, uh, more or less, Goku decides that he's going to make good on his deal, or I don't know if he's made a deal, but I think he'd always intended to, to to wish King Kai and company back to life. He's going to assemble the Dragon Balls together, and he's going to wish that, well, wish them back to life. And King Kai is excited about this, and Goku grabs the dragon radar, goes out, and in record time, finds all seven Dragon Balls, which Goku at this point can teleport and has god-level power, so i sure. Um, and we get, uh, man, we get an episode where once Goku gets the Dragon Balls together, we get several different characters coming together and all fighting over who's going to make a wish. And they're all kind of stepping in front of Goku saying, ah, King Kai doesn't need to be wished back to life. It, it doesn't mean anything. I need to make a wish. I need to make a wish. And it's kind of, I think it's supposed to be kind of a comical episode, but yeah, we we get everyone arguing over who can make a wish off the Dragon Balls. And then Gohan shows up and, you know, his daughter's sick and he wishes for her to be restored back to health. And then the bickering continues. And then as soon as Goku's about to make the wish, he's about to wish King Kai back. Uh, well, time runs out and the Dragon Balls are scattered again. And King Kai is still not wished back to life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Dayton, you pretty much summarized the whole episode. And that's that's more or less everything that's there. I mean, they. It, I don't know. For this episode, I wasn't a big fan. It it felt unnecessary. I mean, I, I like them using the concept that uh, King Kai, Bubbles, and Gregory are still dead and that Goku made a promise to try to resurrect them. Uh, the All the characters that show up feel very selfish. There is kind of a funny bit at the end where Balma wants to make her wish, so she basically asks everybody what their wishes are, and she more or less makes them come true, which is kind of funny and also nice for her character because she is rich and resourceful. It's crazy what you can do with just piles of money, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. But uh, in the end, uh, Balma's time machine is destroyed because she was basically trying to work on her time machine and figure out how to make it work appropriately, which is part of her wish. Uh, but Beerus kind of intervenes, destroys the time machine, and we still do not get King Kai resurrected. So it, that really makes the episode feel like the time was kind of wasted. Yeah, I mean, my thing is, is if if King Kai gets resurrected, at least it feels like there's a point to watching that episode. There's a right. change in the characters of the story and cool, whatever it's more or less still a filler episode, but at least something happened. But nope, nope, we are right back where we started. Nothing has changed. Yeah, yeah we don't even get that change. So, yeah, it, it just feels like the time is kind of wasted there. I really, I, I think that mostly covers that one, if we want to go ahead to the next one. Yeah, episode 69, 
Goku versus a rally. I don't even know how to say her name. Uh, Earth ends in a wacky battle. And also uh, this episode, I don't know what it's referencing. So it made very, very little sense to me. And I think I got frustrated halfway through it and stopped even trying to take notes. (laughs) And yes, so this episode, it's all about Akira Toriyama's other manga, which is Dr. Slump. And I'll admit, I'm, I don't know a lot about Dr. Slump either. I'm a huge Dragon Ball fan, but I never really got into Dr. Slump. Now, there are other references to Dr. Slump throughout Dragon Ball, especially in like the original Dragon Ball with Penguin Village that Goku visits and whatnot. Uh, and, but this is mostly I mean, it's mostly references to Dr. Slump and that old material. Uh, We basically get Bulma competing against Dr. Slump in a competition to for best invention. Uh, Dr. Slump has an invention that creates anything that you can basically imagine or wish for. Or what you Uh, desire, right? Like you have to desire it or something like that. Exactly right. And so Dr. Slump beats out Balma for the best invention. There is Dr. Slump's uh, normal adversary, whose name I'm forgetting at the moment because it was didn't seem that significant. Um, but he basically brings out Erale and uh, has turned her evil, I guess, in the moment. And so she's kind of just causing trouble. She beats up Vegeta Goku shows up. She's kind of fighting Goku. uh, And they're trying to find... The rest of our Z fighters, our Z fighter team, is trying to find a way to solve this problem with Arale. Uh, But the whole time, they're making jokes about the fact that she's an 80s gag manga character. Yes, they mention this more than once. Yeah, and so as a result, she can do things like split the planet in half, and the planet's still kind of okay. It's, It's weird. Um, it, it is really weird. Uh, here, I did take rapid fire notes though, and yeah, go for it. Here we go. So, uh, after Vegeta is more or less beaten by Arali, who's kind of sent off and doing like what, what the anime trope, where you fly into the distance and then boop disappear. Uh, <laughs> now it's Goku's turn to fight. Was it Arali? Arali? Uh, yeah, Arali. I think Arali. So Goku and Arali fight. Um. They throw a pokey poo at her to distract her. They create the spirit bomb of food. Beerus arrives, eats the spirit bomb of food. He gets a tum-tum ache from the spirit bomb food. Um, battle is over. Everyone goes home. Vegeta is hanging from branch on tree. That Did I get pretty, it? Pretty much sums <laughs> up that episode. This is... I mean, for Dr. Slump fans, this might be a lot of fun. I think Dayton and I are are not really big Dr. Slump fans, so maybe we're kind of missing the point here. That is true. I guess I didn't really think about it that way. If if you are a fan of, you know, Toriyama's whole body of work, then this might be a, a cool little crossover to watch. But as as somebody who only really watches kind of Dragon Ball as a fan, I, I don't know any of this other stuff. So it was very kind of I mean it's a it's a pretty harsh change of pace compared to what I'm used to seeing in Dragon Ball. Yeah. It it really caters to the Dr. Slump side of things rather than the Dragon Ball side of things. And it's kind of been thrown into our Dragon Ball property. So it, it just feels odd and out of place. But, so uh, 
that's uh that's that filler episode you ready for the next filler episode let's keep it moving all right episode 70 champa's challenge this time let's face off in baseball baseball yay yeah. everybody loves baseball right yeah uh so the episode starts off with champa challenging beerus to a friendly game of baseball but turns out he's actually just using it as a way to go to earth and eat all the good earth food and this is basically the entire episode it, mm-hmm. it's that's kind of the whole reason we're even having this episode is for champa to get food uh they start a game where yamcha is being super useful but pretty much everybody else involved has no clue how to play baseball does not understand the rules or anything like oh, that geez. there's even a moment where goku asks gohan how to play baseball and gohan says i don't really know i've only read about it in books which drove me up a wall because <laughs> he played like, baseball he's actually played the game he's seen it firsthand Ooh, oh man that's a really good point actually <laughs> <laughs> so it, I mean, Dayton's referencing in the Boo Saga it, at Orange Star High School, Gohan played baseball. I actually forgot about that until you said that. But yeah, see, he, he, I can remember that stuff because I don't have all the stupid manga in my head. I can just focus on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. So, so much filling my brain with Dragon Ball. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that seems really out of character now that you say that, where it's like, and to be fair, he he didn't quite understand the rules all that well when he played it in high school either, but he's played it. He should have referenced that in some way. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I played it once. Like, I kind of get it. I've actually seen how it works. And right. uh, it's just one of those things where uh, I knew right off the bat that I wasn't going to like the episode the first time I saw it because of where it was going. And it's actually funny because when when I watched it again, it's weird because my brain had completely blocked out this episode until I started watching it. And then all the memories came back and I was like, Oh my God, I forgot that this was in the show. Holy cow. Because it is a very, as far as filler episodes go, it is pretty freaking filler. Yeah. There's, I mean, the last episode in this episode, honestly, you could skip these and you'd miss absolutely nothing in Dragon Ball super. I'd rather watch the clone Vegeta arc than this stuff. Oh my, that's that's saying something. I don't mm-hmm. like that arc at all. <laughs> oh, I don't either. But at least there's some fighting and, and stuff trying to happen. If yeah, that feels still Dragon Ball ish. Yeah, uh, at least. So uh, th- yeah, it, this episode it's it's Champa and all the the fighters from or most of the fighters from the um the tournament that him and beers had had playing off against our Z fighters and Vegeta's on the other team. And there's some back and forth between Vegeta and Goku and Vegeta bets Goku. He can't hit his pitch and then throws like a super pitch and just, I don't know. I, I, none of it really means anything. Right. Probably the funniest stuff going in here. And obviously this, this episode is for gags. It's for laughs, but the, probably the funniest ongoing joke in here is the fact that Yamcha is a professional baseball player. And so he's he knows all the rules and he he's in his own way doing well in this game. However, the fact that people like Goku and Vegeta are so much more powerful than Yamcha and they don't understand the rules turns into things like Vegeta pitching to, to Yamcha to hit the ball 
and Vegeta just deciding, I'm going to hit Yamcha because that's how you win this game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on, no violence allowed. Yeah, and so both Goku and Vegeta are pretty bummed about the no violence rules. Uh, I think at some point, Yamcha gets, you know, pummeled by Vegeta and Champa as he's running to the base. And then the the whole episode kind of ends in a culmination of uh, an explosion as Champa and Beerus are fighting one another. And Yamcha ended up stealing home to win the game. But we get our beautiful Saiyan Saga Yamcha pose when he got blown up by the Cybermen. <laughs> and, you know, this has just kind of become a, a widely popular internet meme for Dragon Ball. And I think the way that Dayton described it is this feels very meta. Yeah, it's the the gags are breaking the fourth wall a little bit. And to think that all this happened, all this Yamcha abuse and an entire episode takes place over the course of one whole inning of baseball. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It it both makes Yamcha out to be the hero and also the butt of the joke all at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, my thing is, is like the the joke is kind of making fun of how you know, how they make Yamcha useless and he can't do anything. And then rather than, I guess, making any attempt to fix that, they just double down on it. Yeah. So it kind of makes me feel bad for Yamcha fans, honestly. Like, I don't know if, uh, like, again, Yamcha gets to win the day, sort of, at the cost of his pride and body. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of sucks because Yamcha's an original Dragon Ball character and they just kind of make him a gag now. It's, it's, it's a little sad. I kind of wish they would have used this episode to bring him up to relevance rather than just poo poo on him. Right. Yeah. And he's, not done being poo-pooed on in Dragon Ball Super. No. So At this point, I think come. it's eternal. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but uh, I I think that's mostly just going to take us over to the next episode. Yeah, after, after baseball stuff, we get to episode 71. Goku dies, a hit job that can't be refused. And uh, this episode begins with Goku dying. <laughs> Big surprise, right? But yeah, they... <laughs> They do kind of a weird thing in terms of sequence here where they basically show Goku dead and we see Piccolo, Gohan and Goten inspecting his dead body and try to figure out what's going on. And then we flash back to earlier in the day or earlier that week where Goku is kind of training and meditating and just acting very strange. And uh, I think Chi Chi and goten really notice it and gohan too and they're trying to figure out what is goku doing what is going on here yeah goku's kind of sitting around with his eyes closed and he's like listening very intently and at one point he points out that there's a couple cockroaches under the fridge and there are scenes with him kind of walking around town with his eyes closed and he's trying to navigate without looking and it's a very He's acting very strange, but he's also acting very deliberate. He's doing some sort of training or something like that would be my guess, or which was my guess the first time I had seen it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we find out that that's, that ends up being the case. Uh, eventually, I mean, Gohan and Goten are kind of trying to confront Goku about what he's doing. And I think that he ends up revealing that uh, somebody's trying to kill him. 
He does eventually reveal that. And we also get a uh, a brief scene with Vegeta training with Whis. And it's kind of revealed that Whis probably knows what's going on with Goku, but he won't spill the beans. He tells Vegeta, you've got to finish sparring me 100 times before, you know, we can go to Earth and you can figure out what he's doing. And right. it. Whis is just acting very coy about the whole situation. So we know we know Whis knows what's going on, but that's that's all we know about the situation is that Goku's weird and Whis knows what's up. Right. And then we, the audience, are kind of keyed in on what's going on as we get to see a scene with Hit and Hit from Universe 6 performing an assassination on some random alien, but then after completing his assignment, he basically pulls up some sort of hologram of his next assignment, which is Goku. Yeah. Also, I just want to take a moment to note that I really like the uh, the world that Hit was on to assassinate this big kind of crime boss kind of evil dude, just because it felt very kind of Blade Runner-esque, kind of like grim, dark, dystopian future kind of place that had kind of this really grimy background with like smoggy skies and it's always raining and the colors are washed out and there's bad people and suits everywhere with guns. I thought it was a like, I want to go there and know what's going on because it's, it's supposed to be just this little peek into a place that hit happens to be at, but there was a lot of effort put into it. I do really, I recognize that. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's, it's funny because it's kind of a throwaway detail and I, I even skipped over most of it. Uh, but, but yeah, it's we don't get to see a lot of alien worlds in Dragon Ball for as much as they, you know, travel across the universe. So it's fun I, to see that and see it fleshed out sometimes. I'd like to see more of that because we've, you know, we've gone to Namek. And since we've gone to Namek, we really haven't, like, explored another alien race. It's been kind of just back to Earth. And I, I feel like that's a shame. At this point, you've got the whole pretty much universe opened up to you you can go wherever you want you can meet whoever you want you can introduce different cultures and technologies and magics and all kinds of stuff but it's it's kind of left on the table and i think that's a shame right yeah it, it they touch on some other aliens a little bit in the manga we get to see a little bit more about the yard rats and a few other other races and whatnot but yeah i agree with you it, it's it's kind of kept to a minimum which is unfortunate but we kind of move forward here as we learn that Hit is the one who's trying to kill Goku. And eventually Goku leads Hit out to a kind of wasteland area. The Rocky Barrens, the place where I think way more fights than they should do happen. You know, like his fight with Vegeta (laughs) and his fight with Goku Black and now his fight with Hit. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's there's a lot of random Rocky Baron wastelands. (laughs) It's always just around the corner, you know, it's always just right over there. Just, just off screen. There they are. I mean, Piccolo knows where all the best spots are. (laughs) He's meditated there at least three times. That's right. (laughs) But we basically get hit coming to fight Goku. Uh, Goku tries to attack hit, but hit more or less one punches him. And, uh, Goku fires off a key blast into the air. And that's kind of where the episode ends with Goku being killed by hit. Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a cliffhanger. And 
I mean, it's it's interesting because, I mean, it this episode felt kind of fillery the first time I watched it. And so I knew in my heart of hearts that ah, Goku's not dead. They're not going to just kind of fast track a Goku kill. And they're also not going to do it like unceremoniously. So I was not concerned about Goku at all at the end of this episode. No, and it it feels kind of like a cheap ploy, right? Especially with the way that they start the episode by just showing you Goku's dead body. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I I mean, I didn't buy it either. Although I will say I was like, OK, what's going on here? So if that was their goal, they, they got my interest in that way. I mean, it's you know, they're coming back from there somehow. It's kind of I put this in the same category of when Piccolo sacrificed himself again to kill Gohan. Just the the execution of these the the death of the Z fighters or perceived death is it's very poor in Dragon Ball Super and I don't buy it. So twice now they've killed a main character, quote unquote killed, and I was just like, eh. <laughs> I I definitely don't buy this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I don't know, I think that says something about the the writing for Super, but I mean it, we also kind of know, well, we've watched it already, so we we know that this is a filler episode, so they're definitely not going to have an important death in a filler episode. <laughs> no, and on top of that, there wasn't even really fighting in this episode. It was just no. hit, more or less, getting past Goku's defense and firing a single attack, and just that was it. That's the entire fight this episode, so I can't even really comment on that. Right. I think for the most part, that covers that episode. If we want to move on to the continuation episode. Yes, which is episode 72. Can you counterattack an invisible assassination technique? Oh, and this episode begins where the previous episode begins. Right. So <laughs> we've we've got our Z fighters together. I mean, Goku, Goku's dead body, Gohan, Goten, and Piccolo. Uh, Piccolo is trying to use his defibrillator technique and that's what i was calling them yep the kai defibrillators yeah. yeah yeah i think you you called them that too that was pretty good uh and so he's trying to restart goku's heart it's just not working however piccolo notices something in the sky and he tells the boys to get out of the way and this key blast that goku had fired off right as he was being killed comes back down to the ground hits goku and somehow revives his dead body i guess goku is so good that when goku dies it's up to goku to bring him back and that's (laughs) incredible i mean i have so many mixed feelings about this like it's weird that piccolo wasn't able to resuscitate him but goku's key blast was however Goku also got to see what hit did. So maybe he did something specific with the key blast that he shot or it had to hit some sort of specific target on his body. It's weird. My thing is, is if it wasn't Piccolo trying to revive him and it was most of the other Z fighters, I think I could have bought it a little bit more readily. But Piccolo is a Namekian who I think in general are pretty good at the whole healing Kai thing. But he's also fused with Kami at this point. And so he should have some of that healing energy bouncing around in him somewhere. He should have been able to be effective, at least in some way. But I just, I don't know. And Goku isn't really known for his healing capabilities either. It's very strange. I don't think, I don't think I like this. I think I would have liked it better if Goku would have been just beat and then thank God that 
you know, Piccolo followed him because now he's going to get another chance. Like that would have been fine. Yeah, it's a little strange. I think they're they're basically trying to make it out such that Goku doesn't lose to hit and also kind of play on the fact that Goku is kind of a savant. He's a fighting savant. So in this moment where he's he would otherwise be killed with one punch. Yeah. He <laughs> he manages to facilitate a plan such that he is not killed or he unkills himself. It, yeah. It's still weird. Yeah, I mean, I I love that Goku can see a technique and pick it up in 5 minutes. I think that is core to his personality as character, but just this this felt kind of out of the the spectrum of things that I feel like Goku should be able to do. Healing and reviving and that kind of magic stuff is not really Goku's there to kick ass, not bring people back to life. Let alone be able to time an energy blast that falls back to, I don't know much about uh energy physics, but <laughs> but fall back down and hit him and revive. It felt very bizarre. It felt out of place. Uh but then again, it, it's a filler episode. You know it's a filler episode, so the right. they don't need to be accurate or loyal to any of the previous story and stuff like that. So it just kind of felt like they were doing whatever they wanted. Right. Yeah. I I even try to justify this one as best as I can, but it's it's tough. It's it's a really weird moment. But mm. I mean, it's rough, too, because it's butted up against other filler episodes. So at this point, yeah. when you're watching this, you're already like, all right, can we stop with the filler, please? Because it, I'm being critical at this point because I'm having to watch filler episode after filler episode. It's starting to feel like Naruto all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not 90 episodes of straight filler, but it is something like nine, nine straight filler episodes, mm-hmm. which is still a lot. It's like, just um, give the writers a break for nine weeks. They probably yeah. could use it. <laughs> Yeah, or the animators. Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we basically move forward where Goku's resuscitated himself. He kind of re begins the fight with Hit, uh, now kind of knowing how Hit's technique works. And so he's able to counter it, kind of defend himself against it. Uh, and the episode just kind of progresses with hit using different techniques against Goku, most of them involving time in some way, shape or form. Uh, But Goku is kind of like on the back foot, but Goku is learning these techniques and they're both, they both seem to be just enjoying fighting one another and kind of testing each other's uh, each other without boundaries like they had in the tournament. And I I do like the new use of Hit's power. I thought it was actually fantastic development. The Me too. The I guess the the key clones that he could kind of more or less plant around so that way people couldn't get a reading on where he was actually standing. I thought that was fantastic. It's also a very assassin like technique. So I'm a big fan of that. And then we get uh more techniques with Hit being able to kind of attack from safety and use kind of I guess clones in his stead. So we're it's more deception sort of thing. And we get to see Goku trying to deal with these new techniques that are very, I guess, difficult to get a read on, which is that's what an assassin would do. It's fantastic. I agree with you. I think my favorite takeaway from these two hit filler episodes are how they expand on hits techniques. And even though the, 
I wouldn't say the fight in because we didn't really get much of a fight in the last episode. We get a lot of fighting in this episode. I wouldn't say it's a spectacular fight by any no. means. And the animation's kind of mediocre as well. Yeah, exactly. But it's really cool seeing these other techniques that Hit uses. Unfortunately, I don't think we really get to see any more of that moving forward or him use any of these moving forward either, which is kind of a bummer. No, it's it all kind of ends here. It would have been awesome seeing him use the uh the the key clones during the tournament of power to try and throw people off, but it's yeah, this is I it. Agree. It's all kind of stuck in a vacuum at this point, and this is really the only time we see these episodes. You could say that um his ability to I guess stop time like in a sphere, you could say he adapted that in the tournament of power when he did something similar to that to Jiren. But that would be the closest thing I could argue. It's most of this stuff is kind of left in this episode, not really to be seen. Right. And eventually, basically what ends up happening, uh, Hit is able to kind of dodge Goku's attacks by, I guess the way that Vados kind of explains it is that he's, when he jumps through time, he can hold time in a little vacuum area kind of extra dimension uh, and he can use that to I guess keep himself in that extra dimensional space it's kind of weird yeah it's um, when he skips over time he can store the time that he skips over is kind of the way I took it as which I'm not going to break that down any further because I don't think I understand it yeah yeah me neither as much as I think they're they're it's cool to see these additional techniques. They are a little bit confusing because time stuff is confusing. But probably my biggest problem with this episode is right at the end where Goku basically just charges up, fires a key blast, and because Goku wants to be stronger than the technique he is... It's... Yeah, it was not clever at all. Goku just brewed strength right through it. Just... Oh, oh my gosh. Because you had like you had a really cool technique that Hit was using. It's like, how's Goku going to get out of this one? Oh, just a lot of energy, just being really strong. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I mean, I guess I can't say I haven't seen this before. We could hit him really hard <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, yep, so that's more or less how Goku solves the puzzle of, of the time storing slash skipping hit in this fight and just yep powers up full energy and uh it the way it kind of ends it almost feels like it's a draw they're both kind of yeah laying down in the ruin of the the big kai blast i guess and it's the the fight's a draw and at this point uh vados comes out and more or less confesses what happened what happened in the situation Right. So she explains that she she did hire Hit. However, she was the the mediator, the the middle woman in this case, where Goku was the one who hired Hit to kill him because Goku wanted another crack at Hit. But he also felt like if he went to Hit directly to hire him, that Hit wouldn't take the assassination attempt seriously. So he used Vados as the uh, kind of middle woman to facilitate this. And uh, he also had to go through Weiss to even get in contact with Vados because how the heck does he contact an angel from mm -hmm. another universe? 
I, I am uh, curious what what was Hit paid to take the contract to assassinate Goku? Yeah, I don't know, man. I I was kind of wondering about that myself too. Like, what is I mean, what is his currency? I mean, I know before he wanted the uh I forget what they're called, but that basically that box that Yeah, the fish tank to... that could travel between universes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh they don't mention anything about that. I doubt that he got that, but maybe just cash and who knows how much. And I know he has like it's a point of pride for him to be the best assassin like in the universe. So maybe he would just take difficult targets for the sake of doing it, sort of thing. And Goku right. would be a difficult target, so he would sign up for that. Yeah, and I mean you you can tell throughout this entire fight that they are enjoying fighting one another. Goku has had a lasting impact impact on Hit, and uh, kind of changed him and changed his personality a little bit. I feel like. But yeah, I think that uh, I think that more or less wraps up that episode. Unless we want to talk about uh, Granny's secret sauce. Oh, I'm okay with leaving Granny's secret <laughs> sauce on the table. All right, let's go ahead and jump into episode seventy-three: Gohan's disaster. Great Saiyaman's unbelievable adaptation. Yeah, great Saiyaman movie. Yay! <laughs> yep. So uh, this episode begins with uh, Jocko eating noodles on a moon planet thing and he's got a prisoner that's like a this weird octopus with a puffball and while he's eating noodles the octopus puffball breaks out of the cage he had it in and out of the ship and disappears right and so we we don't get to see the immediate ramifications of this but we basically cut to Gohan and Videl, and they see that a movie is being made about the great Saiyan man, and Videl's father, Mr. Satan, is also involved, where I guess Mr. Satan fights great Saiyan man in the movie. And so they, Gohan and Videl, kind of go to the movie set to see the production of it. Uh, they get a tour with Mr. Satan, and their uh, Videl ends up being hit on by the main actor uh let me make sure barry khan there it is i had to look for my notes for his name or the blonde guy as i call him most of my notes (laughs) but yes the blonde guy barry khan uh tries to hit on videl and videl just completely shuts him down which i absolutely love by the way uh and he is not happy about this so He's going to be kind of our antagonist for this mini story arc. And around this time, we meet the 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 main actress of this uh, great Saiyaman movie, which is Coco, who is kind of bubbly and, I guess, over-the-top nice and is a pop star, which she will tell you several times. Yes, she's supposed to be the main love interest for great Saiyaman mm-hmm. in the movie uh, because you got to have the pop star love interest, apparently. And we kind of move forward with one of the recording, one of the scenes, uh, Barry Khan is just kind of being a jerk to the stuntman and making the stuntman do dangerous stuff. And so Gohan steps in to take the stuntman's place and uh, does a fantastic job. And so the producer basically asks Gohan to be the, the primary stuntman for the movie. And uh, Videl 
encourages Gohan to do so. She says uh, something to the effect of it reminds her of the old days and she she thinks it's kind of cute and attractive that he's doing it. So I thought that was pretty fun. So more or less, Gohan, uh, he has to do it at this point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obligated. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And so but, uh, he he becomes the the stunt man. He's good at stunts, and uh, he's given a great Saiyan man costume to take home with him. Right. And so, basically, at this point, Barry Khan does not like Videl. Does not like Gohan. Gohan is kind of stealing his thunder. And so Barry Khan is trying to find ways to uh, to get back at them, basically. Uh, but we end up getting Gohan, you know, stops a bank robbery as the great Saiyan man. Because he took the costume home, the movie crew thinks that he is the great Saiyan man. And then Balma shows up and, you know, makes up a story about her great Saiyan man costume and her shop being stolen. Uh, and then uh, I think what is the the pop star sees Gohan and Balma talking about the fact that he's the great Saiyan man. And she kind of blackmails him a little bit here to uh, go on a flying ride. <laughs> OK, yeah, that's probably a better way of putting it than I, how I had it written down. I'm now I'm just curious. <laughs> uh, yeah, but. so she blackmails Gohan with knowledge of who the great Saiyan man actually is, and all she wants to do is ride him all night through the clouds. <laughs> That's definitely one way to word it, but mm-hmm. I mean that that kind of ends up being a plot point here in the next episode. They they kind of end things with our pop star riding on Gohan's back, flying through the air and Jocko showing up, uh, Jocko having lost this alien convict and Jocko for whatever reason thinks that the great say man is our alien convict or is taken over by the alien convict. And yeah, I'm not sure why you to... thought that, but he definitely thought that the great say man was this convict thing. And so he whips out this giant spaceship cannon and uh, prepares to fire it at our, our Gohan and the girl that's riding him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't think they explain that detail. That more or less ends the episode, though. It kind of ends there in a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. I think we yeah, I think probably... this goes right into the next episode uh, because it's all the same story arc. It's episode 74, For the Sake of Those He Loves, The Indomitable Great Saiyan. And uh, the episode begins with uh, Jocko firing the cannon and uh, Gohan narrowly avoiding it. Yeah, and so Jocko does not know that Gohan is a great Saiyan man. Gohan manages to, you know, convince Jocko, hey, it's me, you know me, I'm not hurting anybody. And Jocko gives us our exposition dump about this alien convict that can take over people's bodies and feed on their negative energy or negative emotions. Uh, and that gives it power uh, in kind of this symbiotic relationship. And so I think we'll get to see that kind of come to fruition here shortly. But Yeah, because after this explanation, we flip over to Barry, who wants to ruin Gohan's life for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And so he comes up with this plan to more or less get uh, 
Coco to get some one-on-one time with Gohan and uh, get the paparazzi to kind of show up in that area and get some scandalous pictures of the two. Right. So I guess Coco goes along with this for her career because Barry Khan is, you know, famous and has some sway in the movie career area. But uh, Coco basically gets Gohan to stay with her all night working on lines and then eventually kisses him and Barry Khan gets some pictures of them kissing. And at this point, Gohan flies off nervously in the wee hours of the morning, not sure what to do. And uh, when he arrives at home, uh, Videl had stayed up all night staring at a book. <laughs> not sure what was going on there, but yeah. <laughs> It was a little bit odd. Um, she didn't seem upset, but immediately after Gohan arrives home, uh, kind of as they're talking about the fact that he was probably on a long shoot for the night, uh, Barry Khan shows up at their home. And Barry Khan has these incriminating photos that he wants to present to both Gohan and to Videl and just kind of lays them out for everyone to see. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, his whole thought is, I'm going to lay out these photos, I'm going to break up these two, and I'm going to be the man, I'll swoop in and get the girl, but Videl's not about that. She basically tells him, no, I'm sure Gohan has a reason for this, and I don't believe you, and just kind of shuts the whole thing down right there, and and Barry Khan's kind of flabbergasted at this point, and kind of goes into a rage, and at this point, we see Gohan grab a hold of Barry Khan and drag him across the room and tell him that he, he needs to leave. That's a pretty cathartic scene. I actually like that scene a lot. I also really liked Videl's reaction where Videl knows Gohan well enough. I think we as the audience know Gohan well enough to know that he's he's not a cheater. He's, you know, he's a quality human being or Saiyan. And he's, you know, he's not going around just cheating on Videl because he gets a little bit of fame. That's not the type of person that he is. But at this point, this uh, his plan not working, Barry Khan goes out to his car and he's mad. He's slamming the, the side of his car, kicking it, and he's pissed off. And this is where, uh, the heck's the name of this convict? What the gosh? Yeah. Yeah, that's the, the name gosh. of the convict. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> shows up and uh, Barry Khan gets the, uh, I guess, the juice up from the convict and uh, starts just going mad crazy and balking out with tons of muscles and his eyes goes red and he's just he's basically juiced up and ready to go back into that room and deal with Gohan yeah he ends up throwing Gohan through a wall he kind of sees Videl over their child's body over Pan's body uh, and he takes Pan He, he takes Pan to kind of punish them and it's it's kind of like a threat to them uh the what i did not like here and we we don't really get to see what happens between videl and barry khan but videl would not have let pan be taken without a fight videl absolutely would have tried to fight this guy no matter how you know varying their power levels are in this moment so i would have loved to have seen videl try to take a swing at this guy yeah but this is super videl and all she does is stay home and not do anything interesting 
Oh, man. For those of you who want to see our Videl discussion, we've got an episode about her character because Super does her character dirty multiple times. Absolutely. Oh, my. It's like she got into Super and just all of her interesting personality parts just fell off of her. I, I don't know what, what's going on. Yeah. So it, it, the couple of moments in this mini story arc where Videl shows some, I guess, a little bit of sass or that kind of fiery personality, I like a lot. But she uh, she's pretty tame compared to her Z counterpart, unfortunately. Well, uh, Barry Khan steals the baby and flies to the top of a building and starts getting ready for some King Kong action. And Gohan's able to track him down and we get a face off between the great Barry Khan and Gohan. Yeah, yeah. So Barry Khan kind of transforms, juices up. Videl comes in and she she grabs Pan just to kind of get Pan out of the situation. And I felt like this felt a little bit weird. I felt like Gohan should have been much, much angrier in this scene. I would have liked to have seen that um, as his child has just been stolen and threatened. And you figure some emotion is due. Absolutely. And I will say, however, as Gohan and Barry Khan are fighting this kind of alien juiced up Barry Khan, uh, the, the alien is giving Gohan a run for his money. However, I really like Videl's confidence in Gohan during his fight. Uh, I I like I liked the emotion that she showed when she's kind of talking to Coco and Coco's like, "Aren't you afraid? Like, aren't you afraid of for Pan or for Gohan?" And Videl has a couple of really great lines uh, where she says to Pan her daddy's a hero in costume or not. And then she also says, my job is to make Pan feel safe. And I can't do that if I'm scared because Coco's just, you know, aren't you, aren't you afraid? Like, aren't you worried about what's going to happen? Uh, and I, I really like this part with Videl. I will say that that part with their writing for her character was really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I'm not a fan of this whole story arc. So I think, I don't, and it's also one of those things where that felt like it was more. Those comments were more, I guess, about Gohan and not really Videl, and just yeah. it bothers me a little bit because I wanted having the baby being stolen would have been a great way to show some fire from Videl, but instead we get just her holding a baby and talking about Gohan, and just I, I wanted more than that, but I, I mean, it's something. Yeah, and I. I mean, I agree with you there. It Even Videl's lines, as much as I enjoy them because they show in her own way, they show that she is a strong person. They are also showing that her strength relies on Gohan. Uh, so that's, that's a little bit of a toss up there. Um, but we basically get this, this fight more or less wraps up. Gohan beats our Barry Khan after going Super Saiyan and the the production crew for the movie is kind of recording this whole fight the the entire time. And Gohan's kind of hamming it up, which is pretty fantastic as the great Saiyan man. Uh, but we kind of end the episode with them, uh, Gohan and his family going to see the movie where he was 
basically the the star of the show uh goku kind of falling asleep through the movie chi chi just being ecstatic that her son is a movie star uh and i think the very tail end shows jocko possibly losing this alien again <laughs> yeah about the only uh note i have here at the end is uh jocko saying never thought i'd end the day holding a naked human I forgot he said that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wanted to point this out because we kind of zipped past it. Jocko has a great line at the beginning of this episode when he runs into Gohan and realizes that Gohan is the great Saiyan man. And he addresses Gohan as, oh, Goku's not as capable, uninspiring son. <laughs> that was funny. I did enjoy I... that lost it <laughs> oh i forgot about that yeah that, okay see that's meta humor that uh that actually doesn't break the fourth wall though so <laughs> yeah yeah for those people who are gohan fans and who do not appreciate the way that gohan has been treated in super that line was just gold to me it's pretty fantastic <laughs> oh shoot that's funny yeah but that basically this mini story arc kind of contained within two episodes these two i mean filler episodes uh dayton and i were talking briefly about for me one thing that i will say that i do like about these two filler episodes is the fact that it gives our side characters a a story arc it, it focuses on gohan videl and pan and outside of this very tail end where goku watches the great saiyaman movie goku is nowhere to be seen which I think we need more of that in Dragon Ball in general. <laughs> oh, I agree. Let's see some other characters. We've spent how many years building up so many different story arcs with compelling people and personalities, and we just keep going back to the same one. Give me some more of those side characters. Absolutely. And so as much as this, these filler episodes, these two are not my favorite, I'm glad that they focus on Gohan, Videl, and Pan. All right, well, shall we jump into episode 75? Let's do it. We got two more to go. All right, Goku and Krillin to the nostalgic training place. And uh, yeah, this episode kicks off with Goku and Vegeta are stuck on Earth because Whis and Beerus are being called to a god meeting, which is interesting. I wonder what goes on at a god meeting. Um, we will never know. Goku needs a <laughs> training partner, though, so... Chi-Chi and Goten decide to call Gohan over, and we get Gohan changing into the very recently seen Great Saiyan Man, and the sparring begins. And I'm kind of curious why Gohan had to transform. Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird, and they've kind of been inconsistent with whether Gohan can go Super Saiyan, or if he can use his either mystic or ultimate form. But as much as this fight, there's nothing really all that special about this fight in terms of animation or even story. However, even watching it this time through, I did get a little bit giddy when I saw both Goku and Gohan go Super Saiyan. Just... Yes, I, I did as well. I'm not going to lie. I got a little excited. Yeah, it, I don't know. It just hits my nostalgia funny bone. And right. Those two... Like, ooh, the Boo Saga. I take a little bit more of that again. Yeah, so I, I don't know. That was fun. It was just a brief little moment of nostalgia there. Um, but we basically get uh, 
they kind of move on from Gohan. Gohan's, you know, not much of a fighter anymore. So I think one of his fam one of Goku's family members recommends Krillin. And Goku's like, Oh shit, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause you know, the after Gohan, the next best person to try and spar with is Krillin, right? So yeah. Goku pretty much wastes no time and he goes to meet up with Krillin, who's currently in the middle of a shootout with some some crooks. And uh, the shootout's getting intense, and Krillin kind of dives partially in the way of one of his uh, one of his partners to save him from a bullet, and actually gets hit himself. Which kind of I think is to show you kind of how out of shape and out of training Krillin is, because I mean even Raditz was faster than a bullet. And <laughs> yeah, I think Raditz caught a bullet with his bare hands, no problem. Yeah, so. So, I mean, it's it's probably trying to tell you this stuff a little bit too too hard, too too much on the nose or something like that. But, I mean, the point is more or less across. Krillin is not in fighting form anymore. Right. It feels a little bit extreme, but I, I get what they're going for here. Mm-hmm. And, and we get Goku showing up, and Goku very easily deals with the villains. And he asks Krillin, hey, would you like to be my training partner? I need someone to train with. And Krillin is very hesitant. He says, no, I'm retired. I'm out of the game. Like, I'm I'm not a martial artist anymore. And uh, the conversation's kind of shelf there for a minute. And they head back to uh, where Krillin and 18 and the family all live. And 18's kind of patching up Krillin and Goku still trying to you know, convince him to get back in the game. Like, I need a training partner. Come on. And Krillin's still saying no. And it's at this point that 18 tells him that, you know, this isn't the 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 brave martial artist that she fell in love with. And he needs to, you know, maybe step up a little bit. She kind of gives him that little bit of a, the encouragement, a little push. And even Marin's telling Dada to stop being a little wimp. And at this point, you know, Krillin kind of, thinks about it for a moment. He's like, yeah, I want to be a strong daddy. And so he tells Goku he's ready to be a strong daddy. Right. So I was a little bit torn on this interaction because 18 really kind of lays into Krillin here. She She's clearly trying to motivate him. So, and it, it does feel kind of appropriate for her character. She's not the, she's not the soft coddling type. And so she's kind of using her maybe more abrasive personality traits to push Krillin in the right direction and kind of motivate him to, you know, be that strong martial artist that she fell in love with. Yeah. And I mean, I think she's also pushing because she wants him to push back sort of thing. It's like, all right, you've been out of the game long enough. It's you got to take this seriously. Like, we're I'm not messing around you need to actually make this decision and commit to it. Right. Yeah. She, she wants to see him be his best self. So I, I think that's kind of what she's trying to get across. I just felt a little bit bad for Krillin in this moment as he's being kind of shat on by his family. <laughs> yeah. We'll just chalk it down in the, uh, the Krillin own counter and let's move on to the next scene where, <laughs> where Goku and Krillin decide that they're going to go train with master Roshi again, which is, kind of cool we're getting the whole gang back together we're gonna have some adventures like old times and master roshi immediately tells goku that i don't think there's anything i can train some to somebody who has attained 
God divine power, <laughs> which is yeah. a fair point. No, I don't blame him. I mean, I love Master Roshi as a mentor character, but the man's got what, like a power level of a thousand, maybe <laughs> like compared to Goku. I mean, he's he's doesn't have a whole lot more to to give, really. Yeah, but... and Master Roshi's already gone through all the motions with Goku, so it's right. I mean, he taught him his signature technique and everything. What do you do? And it's not like Master Roshi's been training disciples all these years. He's kind of he's kind of retired as well. Right. But Krillin kind of encourages Master Roshi, saying that if Master Roshi can teach Krillin to improve, then Krillin could be a better training partner for Goku, and then they can both improve as a result, which I like this. I like the idea that Krillin still thinks that Master Roshi has some value and has something to offer to him. Yeah, and so at this point, the... They agree to train, and Goku is forced to wear a weighted turtle suit and barred from flying while him and Krillin get into a sparring match. And uh, this sparring match goes probably exactly how you would expect it to go. Yeah, I I will say, I actually, this little sequence, I kind of liked the animation and the fight here. Uh, it w- wasn't bad. I was impressed for a filler episode. Uh, and Goku eventually just ends up knocking Krillin kind of on his butt, more or less. Uh, Master Roshi stops the fight, though, before Goku can deliver a, basically a finishing blow. Yeah, Goku's and... in, in base form, and even blocking one of Goku's punches, Krillin is sent just flying back. Like, the force is just unbelievable. Right. And so, I mean, we're getting to see where Krillin's at right now, and we we all know that Goku's way above Krillin in terms of power. Uh, but Goku does his best to give Krillin some positive affirmations. And we kind of cut to Krillin training by himself at nighttime. And Master Roshi shows up. And I really like this scene because Master Roshi gives a good analysis of Krillin and just says that, you know, he's he's kind of scared, like he's not where he used to be. And we still kind of have that mentor student relationship between Roshi and Krillin. And I really like this a lot. Yeah. Cause at this point it's, it's more of master Roshi kind of being, I guess, almost like a parental figure to Krillin to kind of right. guide his mind and his emotions into the right direction. And that's something that I think is, it's not done very often or very well up till this point. So it was really nice seeing that. Right. I very much agree with you. And so Roshi eventually tells Goku and Krillin, he's sending them on a quest to find an herb that will, uh, I think he says it helps him with his aging or the fact that he's, you know, just getting old. Yeah, it keeps him young. <laughs> That's right. And so he's going to send them off into the woods, which is, you know, this this feels very nostalgic. Uh, I, I mean, I I'm down with it. I like the fact that they're kind of, pulling at our nostalgia strings for this training. Yeah, and, and it's uh on top of them going off to find this herb, it's also a competition. It's a race to whoever can get the herb first and bring it back to him, which I thought was really fun because this is one of the old Dragon Ball episodes that I kind of remember is Master Roshi writing, I think his name or his signature on a turtle. rock. A turtle, that's what it was. Yep. And he just hurls it into the woods and makes a competition between the two to try and find that rock and bring it back to him. And so this felt very similar to that. Yeah, yeah. I 
that's definitely what this made me think of i uh, which i really really like um and so we get goku and krillin going out into the woods they run into master roshi's sister fortune teller baba briefly and she kind of gives them the the lay of the land and the rundown and goku and krillin kind of enter through this kind of weird gargoyle looking structures face i guess yeah they go through and in through the mouth yeah into this this wooded area and eventually they come across these uh, kind of like specters of old enemies uh we basically see like napa vegeta uh boo frieza cell and one of the big ones that they focus on is tambourine from the original dragon ball and we get to see how afraid krillin is of all of these different specters in this moment and that's kind of where that episode wraps up yeah and it's uh i mean it's so far all the vibes that this episode gave me were all for the most part good vibes it definitely feels like a little kind of side questy kind of episode not super relevant um but I mean, it's got all the right elements. You've got some throwbacks. You've got Goku and and Krillin training under Master Roshi, and it's it seems like it's kind of focused on Krillin and getting him back into the mix. And I like all the uh, all the pieces of the puzzle here. So it's I, I overall I thought it was a nice, I guess, fan servicey kind of episode. But it, to me, it feels like the right kind of fan service. I definitely agree, and I I mean this is. At least these these two episodes are still kind of fillery, uh, but they these ones are going to be at least more relevant coming up into the next story arc, which I I also appreciate. Um, but I I think that more or less leads us into this next continuation episode, which is our last episode to cover tonight. Yep, which is episode seventy six. Beat the fearsome foes, Krillin fighting spirit returns. And uh, this episode starts out with Krillin just having an absolute panic attack over all these villains that are surrounding him. And these are these are villains that beat the crap out of him and his friends and in some cases actually killed him. So he's having some really bad PTSD kind of kind of things going on, which is understandable. Like these are all the people that probably haunt Krillin's dreams. Yeah, I and in in many cases killed him because I mean Tambourine killed him in Dragon Ball when King Piccolo was around. Frieza killed him, bef- exploded him into a million pieces. Uh Dabura turned him to stone and Super Boo turned I think turned him into chocolate or mm-hmm. candy or something and ate him. So Krillin's been through some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Krillin's reaction to all of this is exactly what it should be. And I do yeah. kind of like that because it's kind of a big rush of emotions all at once. And especially since he's kind of already been doubting himself after seeing the power gap between him and Goku with their little sparring match. And he's it, he's already talked about how he's resigned from fighting. And so it's I'm sure all these doubts are just spinning around in his head. And just that that response felt unplanned. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad, actually, that they finally took a lot of the trauma that one of the characters has been through, Krillin in particular, and show him kind of dealing with that trauma. It's not something that we see very often in Dragon Ball. 
and Goku makes a, a mention that they're probably just just you know images. They probably can't hurt them. And Goku goes to throw a punch at one kind of casually, and the punch is caught. And then Goku is just sent flying by the return kick. And at this point, it's you know that they mean business. Something's going on here, and they probably do have a good reason to fear them. Right, and. Goku is trying to fight the fight back. Uh, Krillin tries to fight back, but is almost too afraid to do so. And uh, Goku manages to, you know, basically get rid of most of the enemies. And he's trying to kind of talk Krillin up, saying like, "Hey, you know, we we have to fight together, otherwise we're not going to be able to get out of here." And there's actually a really great line, and the voice actor for the dub for Krillin delivers this phenomenally but uh krillin is basically telling goku like hey you know you're always happy-go-lucky you love fighting and you know you can keep that that attitude and krillin just screams at goku i'm not like you and it's kind of like this pause in the the dialogue where goku's like almost stricken he doesn't know what to say uh and krillin kind of realizes what he's done uh and it's it's kind of this tense moment in their friendship here very briefly and they they get over it pretty quick but i really like the delivery and what they're going for here yeah and it makes a lot of sense too because i mean it my knowledge of sayings is that when they lose in a fight or get beat up they come back stronger right i don't think that applies to humans i think when when you get beat up you just get freaking beat up there's no upside to it and so all these close fights and all these epic encounters that they've had, Goku's only gotten stronger and stronger from them. That drive and that feed has gotten stronger for him as well. That no wonder he's carefree. If he gets beat up, he'll just get stronger. Krillin just dies. <laughs> That's a pretty radical difference. Yeah. Yeah. The the Saiyans have a pretty good upside and the uh humans have a pretty bad downside. So there's it's kind of a the scales are tipped one way pretty far in that way. So um, but we basically get them, the the bad guys kind of reappear. Uh, they're basically like smoke monsters, more or less. Uh, but they they begin to, you know, beat up on Krillin. They get separated, think... too. Uh, Krillin and Goku get kind of pushed apart, and now each of them are dealing with these villains on their own. And Goku pretty quickly figures out kind of the, the solution to the riddle. And you see him kind of like hold his breath and kind of meditate for a second. And then all the villains disappear around him. And we flip back over to Krillin, who's kind of fighting for his life there. He's surrounded by these villains. I think specifically Nappa's the one that's fighting him. Um, not sure why him specifically, but yeah, there's one scene with a bunch of Frieza's too. So okay, it's... that would make sense. But yeah, it changes up. You see Krillin just panicking and fighting, and the more he panics and fights, the bigger and stronger all these villains get around him. Right, and I think he eventually uses his Kienzan, or his Destructo Disc, and he he cuts one of the Nappas in two, and he can see the the key or the energy that's kind of emitting from this torn-apart Nappa, and he realizes that it's it's his own key it's his own energy and so he kind of catches up to goku's realization already and krillin begins to calm himself and center himself and 
just kind of tell himself that these guys aren't real or they can't hurt him. Yeah, and I do I do like that progression that that Krillin was able to kind of figure it out and find his center and and actually get through it without Goku's help. I thought it was important that yep. they were separated and I'm really glad they did that. I agree. I I was just about to say the same thing too where I I'm glad that Goku didn't give Krillin the answer. I'm glad that Krillin came to it himself because I think that was an important journey for him to undertake. Yeah, and so at this point where the battle seems like, you know, it's over, but wait, it's not. And for some reason, uh, Gold Shenron, the super, super dragon shows up and like grabs Goku. And then I don't know what that was about. I thought the lesson was already learned, but uh, Krillin has to more or less save Goku from the gold dragon. And now the battle's actually over because it wasn't over before, but it's over now. Yeah, the Super Shenron part felt weird, but whatever. They used it to kind of wrap things up. I do want to point out, because I thought this detail was hilarious, uh, where Goku, I think both Goku and Krillin are unable to fly in this forest. And so Goku calls on uh, Nimbus. And so Nimbus comes and picks Goku up. And as soon as Goku hops on Nimbus in the dub, uh Sean Schemmel starts singing as Goku starts singing the Chala Head Chala theme song. I do remember catching that. I thought that was phenomenal and fantastic. (laughs) That's a nice little touch. I I do feel like that the the voice acting crew on Dragon Ball Super probably, for better and for worse, had a lot of leeway with how they delivered and, and what some of the lines were. Yeah, there's definitely been some pretty... Some pretty fun or funny kind of meta lines in the dub, which I've been enjoying as as we've watched through the dub. Like sometimes the little comments of how long is it going to take? Oh, 20 minutes. Oh, so about the length of your average anime episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, little stuff like that. Or, uh, you know, Piccolo and Vegeta in one of the filler episodes. I think uh, Vegeta telling Piccolo what a terrible actor he was when he was trying to act uh, when Goku was fighting Beerus in the suit in one of the filler episodes. I love stuff like that. Some of that stuff is fun. I like it when it's just a little, like a little one-off that you you could probably miss if you weren't paying attention. Absolutely. But uh, I think they ended up getting the the herbs for Master Roshi. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. They uh, they defeat the the Super Shenron Ghost, and then. All the plants that they were looking for start spawning up out of the ground, and so they collect uh, way more than they probably needed of these things, and they they fly back to Roshi's, and they deliver all the plants, and Roshi says, oh, well, the reward for winning would either be this dirty magazine or a super secret technique that would power you up, but this was supposed to be a race, and you guys work together, so neither of you guys get the technique. But I mean, it's it's kind of funny, but Krillin does explain that the real power, like the real power up for, through all this was him kind of overcoming his fears. And uh, th- th- I'm fine with that. That's a pretty classic age old kind of lesson that that I'm I'm more or less OK with them walking away with. Yeah, I'm OK with it, too. It's it's just a little bit cheesier, corny, but that's, you know, not atypical for dragon ball so i, I mean it also fine. felt like that was the whole point of them going to the specific forest so it's right it's one of those things that you know it's not groundbreaking it's not 
it's not anything new, but at the same time, it's I'm fine with it because it's more or less a way to progress Krillin's character, and right. I'm okay with that. I agree. It was it, it was good for for Krillin's story arc and for bringing him up to where he needs to be for the next story arc. And I think we kind of wrap things up with Krillin feeling much more confident and shaving his head back to the bald monk style that he seems to enjoy when he's a fighter. Yeah, and that, I was kind of happy to see that. It's like, cool, he's going back to his roots and he's getting ready to go back into fighting form. So, yeah, the episode more or less ends with 18 shaving his head and Krillin being a badass again. And Goku walks up and says, hey, I need a training partner. And Krillin's like, yeah, I'm in. Just don't go Super Saiyan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need you to murder me with no. one finger. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um. As far as I'm just going to lump those two episodes together and sure. just say that, um, is it is it a fantastic story arc? No, not really. But at the same time, there's there's good nostalgia with it. And I'm glad they progresses. They progressed Krillin's character a little bit, which I was happy about um, kind of getting him back into the ring because he's kind of been more or less retired up until this point. And now he's getting back into it. And that that excites me. I'm always glad to see old characters come back in. The only, I think, bugaboo I have with this is that at moments, Goku felt a little too aloof and clueless and just... Yeah. Because when when Frieza kills Krillin way back in the Frieza saga, there's this big emotional response about how you just killed my best friend. And right. you know that Goku like cares deeply about Krillin. And I never, at this at any point during this whole story got that sense of emotion from Goku. He felt just kind of hollow. Right. I I agree with you, uh, especially when you mentioned that earlier. It you don't feel the connection between Goku and Krillin. You don't feel the the appropriate camaraderie that there should be there from these two guys who have shared 30 plus years of their life together in very, you know, either intimate ways not that kind of intimate but you know hey. or <laughs> or just dangerous like where their lives are on the line uh so and i mean we we had that moment with master roshi walking out and seeing krillin kind of up late training frustrated and we get yeah. that little connecting point that felt great that felt like two characters that were you know age old friends that were having kind of a, a bonding moment that was unique to them i I don't think I really got that from Goku and Krillin during all this. And that's kind of the one no. the one thing that I wish I would have gotten out of all this. Because I love seeing Krillin coming over his fears and getting back in the fighting form. I love the traditional Dragon Ball adventure. And I love Roshi. And there's a lot to like about this. But it's just, for some reason, Goku just doesn't deliver on any emotional level for me. He just kind of feels like regular old Goku. And this episode needed... It needed a little bit more than that, and it didn't deliver. But otherwise, I do actually like this quote-unquote filler story arc. Yeah, yeah, I I largely agree with you on all of that. I think, honestly, I think my favorite part about this little story arc was the moment with Roshi and Krillin at nighttime when Roshi was really trying to connect with Krillin. And it's funny because these couple of episodes, we've got you know, typical pervy Roshi, which I know a lot of the fan base is saying like, hey, you know, Roshi needs to change for modern days. It's 2021. 20, like, 
get rid of the pervy Roshi. That's more, much more of an eighties or nineties shtick. But uh, we have that here. But we also have mentor Roshi, where he's he's thoughtful. He's he's a wise old man. He's he's been around. He's seen a lot of things. He's he understands people pretty well, even if he doesn't always come across that way. And I like that. I like seeing our, you know, our wise mentor and he's kind of the OG mentor for Dragon Ball. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. I also think the uh the pervy Roshi comes off pretty poorly in Super mostly yeah. because that's kind of a, a a symptom of Super as a whole show is that they dive into the comical relief side of most of these characters too often and it's not executed particularly well when they do stuff like that. And it's kind of like with the goofy Vegeta stuff and right. Goku making the, you know, whipping out the old Shenron joke and stuff like that. Like <laughs> it's, I don't mind some comic relief, but they do it in a way that's not, I guess it doesn't feel very Dragon Ball. It just feels like kind of cheap, low hanging humor. And I think that's why, that's why, especially in super, the pervy Roshi stuff is a little bit too on the nose. It's a little bit too, you know, bold and it's 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 not clever it's in your face and you kind of want to see more traditional roshi and you don't really get it which is a shame right which is why i was glad that they had a little bit of kind of traditional mentor roshi in these episodes and again it's mixed with pervy roshi so you know it's a little bit of a mixed bag but there's only a few moments where we get serious roshi throughout dragon ball super and every single one of those moments is fantastic and I wish they would just do it a little bit more just because the him fighting Frieza's forces was great. Yeah. Him at the tournament of power is absolutely fantastic. Um, yep. Him and his couple moments with Krillin during this story arc are, are great. It's there are moments that are absolutely fantastic. And I, I think my criticism and of super in general is that we just don't have enough of the good stuff. Like, I feel like I'm always left wanting more. Yeah, I would definitely agree. It's interesting going through Super and just kind of seeing how we feel about it a second time through, because I definitely was very excited for it the first time, just because it was new Dragon Ball. So, I mean, I will say my my first watch through, I was much more excited and forgiving about stuff. But now that I got to rewatch it and actually take notes and be a little bit more critical, it's like, oh, 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 boy, here we go. <laughs> right. And especially with this episode of Instant Transmission, you guys will probably hear us being pretty critical. But most of this chunk of episodes in Super is filler. I don't think that we have, as far as I can remember, I don't think there's another long stint of filler episodes like this long stint of episodes and so hopefully we are through the worst of the episodes in super at this point i'm hoping so uh i mean we still haven't figured out how we're going to tackle the tournament of power when we get there but i'm i'm hoping we have a game plan because <laughs> that is be quite tough. the story arc yeah that's gonna be hard we'll have to figure out how to divide that up but uh there's some fun stuff that happens in, in the Tournament of Power, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But right. Yeah, yeah. So those are my feelings on the uh, the filler saga. 
<laughs> yeah, so I I think that's more or less taking us to the the end of the episode here. Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss, or does that kind of wrap things up for tonight's topic? Uh, no, and I I just want to reiterate that even though we've been kind of harsh, I think on on this episode, and there have been a couple of moments previously where we were harsh and super. I do really like it. It's not my favorite Dragon Ball series, but it, it is a fun watch, and it's always great to have new Dragon Ball. I want to make sure that, that I'm not coming off as just someone super negative. I do think that it's it's a great watch, and I am happy to be watching it a second time. Yeah, me too. I mean, I don't think that we'd be spending our time watching through it and making these episodes if we didn't love Dragon Ball and enjoy Dragon Ball Super and, you know, care about all this content. So. Absolutely, yep. But yeah, I think that's going to be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. So this has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we deviate away from Dragon Ball Super briefly to cover one of the most popular Dragon Ball Z TV specials, The History of Trunks. Oh, I'm excited. Me too. So, will Trunks actually look his age? Will Balma ever find that handsome Saiyan in her life? How many arms does it take to fire a Kamehameha? Find out (laughs) next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there, and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Ha <laughs> ha!